Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the TCT Podcast. Jordan Thomas, uh, your host, and I'm joined today by dear brother Tim Kane in El Cajon, California. What's up, Tim? Hey, Jordan. Hey, brother. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, Tim and I are going to be discussing the vitally important theme of Christ in preaching and why those two must always be joined if it's to be God-honoring preaching. So uh, before we get to that theme, let me do just some quick intros. Uh, you all can find more info about TCT at tctnetwork.org. And you can find Tim's uh, preaching and other things about their church at what website, Tim? How can folks find uh, you? Yeah, yeah. Kaleo Church. It's K-A-L-E-O, kaleochurch.com. Okay, very good. Well, since you've already mentioned Kaleo Church, why don't you also do a quick intro uh, yourself, your family, and your church? Yeah, thanks, Jordan. I, yeah, I'm Tim Kane. Uh, I was a resident of Bethlehem two years after Jordan back in 08, and then in 2009 planted Kaleo Church out here in El Cajon, California. And so we've been around now, I think, going on 11 years. And yep, we got a wife, Abby. She's great. And I have a daughter, Taylor and Malachi. Um, and then we have a little uh, adopted embryo that is now seven months old and going to be born in August. I mean, he's still in Abby's womb, but he's going to be born August 9th. So we're very excited about him. His name is Seth. So, uh, yeah, very thankful. Amen. We said I have a daughter, Taylor, and you didn't say explicitly, though, I think people figured out a son, Malachi, and yep. now your your next son on the way. Well, congratulations, yep. brother, on the upcoming birth of your third. Praise God. Um, many of you know Tim, um, especially those who have been around the network for any length of time. Maybe some of you don't know the story about uh, how Tim got connected to the residency and how he and I met. And so anytime Tim and I are together, we're always joking with and jabbing each other. But uh, this is my humble brag about reeling Tim into the network. Tim, do you remember how you and I met? Yeah, yeah, sure. I I was at a conference and I was just praying and I was at a, a, a conference, a children's conference at Bethlehem. And I actually went because I thought Piper was going to be there, but Piper wasn't there. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I really enjoyed the conference and I found out about the residency and Charlie Handron uh, was there and he said he'd do lunch with me and tell me about it. And me and him talked for like five minutes and he's like, ah, let me go get Jordan. He, you know, and then you had done the residency the year before him and the three of us talked and then both of you said, let's go meet Kenny. And by the time the four of us talked, uh, I was getting ready to pack my stuff and come to the residency. So I was pretty stoked. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah brother. Well, that's, that, there's the extent of my humble brag that I was able to reel Tim Kane into the network. No, brother, in all seriousness, God bringing you along, not only to that residency and TCT generally, but crossing my path and being a dear brother to me, I, I, I could not adequately express the, the blessing that the Lord has used you to be, even though we mercilessly ridicule each other, but somehow in our sanctified snark, the Lord has used you to be an encouragement to me. So I give God glory for you and uh, thankful for your wife, for your family, for the work at Kaleo. And uh, let's just shift gears and go toward what I alluded to earlier, this all important theme of however you want to put it, treasuring Christ in preaching 
a Christ-centered hermeneutic for understanding and unpacking the scriptures. And we believe that uh, so many vitally important aspects of church life and ministry, but none more vitally important and trajectory shaping and really culture creating and life transforming as the place of preaching in a congregation. And I think simply, I guess we could say as goes the preaching, so goes the church. And of course we trust the Holy Spirit's power to fill the preaching and, and cause it to be that catalyst for God exalting uh, glorification of his name and also edification of his people. But brother, I, I know that the Lord has used you to help others both see Christ in Scripture and and say the 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 beauty of His glory from passage after passage. So let's go into that theme. And before we get the cart in front of the horse, let me just ask you: Why do you think preaching Christ? in every sermon and really is the substance of every sermon is an important thing for us to consider. Yeah, no, thanks Jordan. I mean, I love that this topic is probably one of my favorite topics to think about and to talk about. And just to me, just so much just passion and just energy, just, just this idea of like lifting up Christ. I just think, I think in preaching, I think in all of life, I just think that's, that's what we're called to do to, to treasure Christ, to lift him up, to proclaim him, right? Like uh, Colossians 1, 8, him we proclaim. Uh, John 12, 32, you know, the, I, Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. That's what we want. We want people to know Jesus. He's the, he's the only way to get to God. Uh, he's the only hope for sinners. Uh, he's, he's, he's the pearl of greatest worth. He's, he's, I mean, he's just everything. He's, he's, he's God in the flesh, like the fullness of deity dwells in him. And so I just never get tired of just, I think there's so many ways to, to facets of, of Christ to see and to behold and, and to be blown away from and by in scripture uh, you know, I, I love like first Peter where he's talking about like the prophets, they just couldn't wait to see Christ. They like peered and tried to figure out mm. how, you know, wh what he was going to be like. And then the angels are like longing to see what it's going to, how it's going to all unfold. And the idea that we have seen it, I just can't fathom not talking about it and can't fathom like how it, it, it could, it, it, it wouldn't be the central uh, just, you know, top of, you know, priority and just the, the pinnacle of every sermon, you know, just that, that we're, we're, we're lifting up Christ, you know, uh, that, that we get to see something that all of heaven and all of the ones that wrote the old Testament long to see, mm -hmm. and we're not going to spend one sermon in God's word acting as if we don't know the end of the story or if it's not as if it's not the craziest, most beautiful, amazing thing mm. in, in all the universe. You know? And so, you know, I like even second Corinthians three eighteen. I just love this view. So it's not just for Christian. It's not just for like the, the unbelievers or for the unsaved, like uh, gazing upon Jesus is the way that we're transformed into the image of God. And so in my mind, you know, the goal of every sermon is, is to proclaim and to lift up Christ so that we might see him, 
love him and be transformed more into his image, glorify him, follow him, uh, and look forward to the day we're going to be with him in eternity, be thankful for the way he's with us right now. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just did precisely the thing that I was trying to uh, allude to a moment ago in terms of encouraging me and others around you to go back to true north and to behold what God beholds, the reflection of his own glory in the face of his son. And we are, for crying out loud, the treasuring Christ together network. And uh, for by the, by the Lord's grace, may we increasingly live up to that name. We're not saying that we have mastered that or figured out exactly how to do that at all times, but we aspire to be people who uh, are worthy of such a, a moniker that we are truly Christ treasuring people. And uh, before I even move on, I want to ask you about, you know, kind of what are some pitfalls that you've seen in preaching? And I want to ask you about uh, basically two parts. What are some pitfalls? What are some mistakes? And I want to ask you after that about, um, you know, what are some ways we can strengthen our our Christ preaching? But before we go there, brother, uh, you can be thinking on those things. You have primed my pump. So I just have to underline a couple of things you've said, because if I don't, I'll explode. (laughs) Second Corinthians 318. It's that incontrovertible rule of the kingdom that we become like what we behold. And like you said, you can't fathom not talking about the pearl of great price when the Lord has given the most impoverished beggar the greatest treasure in the universe. And how could we not talk about him? Uh, So yes and amen. And may the Lord continue to remove the scales from our own eyes day after day, as we look through the lens of his word into the face of his son by the power of the Holy spirit. But I do believe it's a, like that golden chain of redemption. There's also a golden chain in our sanctification that the more we look to Christ, the more we will inevitably talk about this, this beautiful one that we behold and uh, who has poured out so much grace on us. So may the Lord do that. But we also know brother, there are some theological foundations. You've already mentioned Peter. You've mentioned John 12. You've mentioned second Corinthians three, uh, I didn't ask you to prep this, but could you just quickly mention a text or two that comes to your mind when you would say, I'm never going to pick up my Bible and do what I would call preaching without getting to Christ because, could you just put a chapter and verse or a couple of chapters and a couple of verses on on why you have that conviction? Yeah, I mean, the ones I said already, I think, for sure. So those four, Colossians 118, 2 Corinthians 318, 1 Peter 1, John 12, 32. I think Luke 24, we see it modeled in, in Jesus um, and just the way that he went through all of the prophets in the Old Testament and showed them himself. Um, and so I think he models it for us. I think Hebrews is just like uh, the, the, the paradigm for a sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that's that's what a sermon looks like. And, and just imagine Hebrews if you took out Christ. Uh, it, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be that good of a book. So, uh, so, so, just, just, uh, so but I mean, we love the book of Hebrews because it's just so building up of, 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 and just glorifying and exalting Christ. And, hmm. um, and it's doing it from Old Testament text. And uh, I think John 5 gives us a picture 
of what it looks like not to do it. And I think the Pharisees show us. I mean, they loved God's word. They studied God's word. They preached God's word. Uh, but they missed God. He can say things like, God's not your father. Like you, you, don't, you don't even really see God in his word because you don't see me in his mm. word. And, and you can't get to God the father except through me. And so I, I don't see what a goal of a sermon could be if you left out Christ. Like, what, like I would just ask, like, what is the goal of that sermon? Is it to glorify God? Well, we glorify God you know, uh, through Christ, right? We get to God through Christ. So the glory of God is seen in the face of Christ. That's the second Corinthians four that you gave. Um, mm. you know, is it, is it life for our listeners? Are we trying to, you know, do we want them to have life and are we trying to, you know, have them, you know, see that life comes through Christ, not, not even directly through God's word, but through Christ, right? Yeah. Like Christ is God is the ultimate embodiment of the word of God, you know? And, um, and so I just think, it's hard to imagine what the goal of a sermon that left out the gospel and not just Jesus, but the gospel, um, you know, that, that the, 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 the death resurrection, the, 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 all the, the beauty of the many facets of the gospel. Not obviously you, you don't preach all of them in every sermon, but, but that didn't have any of those facets. Yeah. Well, what is it like? Uh, are we trying, if we want to see our people changed, is it their sanctification? Then, then you got to have Christ. They, they change by mm. seeing Christ. Uh, mm. um, so, you know, God is glorified as we behold the riches of his grace. And where do we see his grace? It's in Christ. Is the goal that we would become a more loving people? Well, we don't have love inside of us. We love because he first loved us. And love is displayed, First John, in, in Christ. What, how do we know what love is? Well, God sent his only son. That, that's what love looks like. Uh, the 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 fulfillment of all the commands is found in love and love is found in gazing and first receiving God's love so that we can reflect it. And we receive God's love at the cross and through the cross, you know? So in my mind, it, it really isn't just a proof text. It really is. I don't understand. It's just all of scripture. It's just, that's just the theme and the, 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 the direction of it all. And I don't know that you can accomplish your goal, whatever your goal is. I don't know that you can accomplish it without Christ and the gospel. Mm. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees in, in John five, your goal is life. There's nothing wrong with that goal, but you just, you can't accomplish it. If you don't see me, mm. like uh, you, you see, you, you, you get it through me. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You know, it's in me. So, well, for the handful of people that stumble upon this podcast episode, I think you will already have seen when I throw Tim Kane softballs, why I love to interact with him on this very theme. And what you just said, brother, reminded me of, I don't know, 2009, 2010 conversation over at Cody Pinckney's place in North Carolina, where we stayed up in the wee hours of the night, basically uh, stoking each other's fire all night long about Christ and all the scripture and it, precisely all the things you're talking about. Yeah. When you mentioned John 14, it, it uh, just resonated deep again in my soul that yes, Christ is the way the truth, the life. No one comes to the father, but through him, but he's not, he's not only the initial way. He's the only way he's the only yeah. mediator between God and men. And if we do, you know, an end around Jesus to go to God, that's not a favorable meeting. He's the yeah. only safe mediator. And 
we must always approach God in him, through him, by him, and to join the Father in beholding his glory in the face of his Son. So yes and amen to everything you're saying. And uh, if, if what we're saying uh, to whomever listens uh, sounds like something you resonate with or desire to grow in, um, I, I want to give kind of a segue comment to ask Tim, brother, you can start thinking about this, to elaborate on what are some mistakes that are common or some pitfalls that are common. And here's my segue. Uh, it's it's kind of the image of uh, C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters and, you know, discipling Wormwood, basically telling him all these sinister things to do to get Christians off track. And I was just thinking, man, if, if the enemy really wanted to distract the true converts, and we're talking about false professors or shyster preachers or Second Corinthians 4 peddling the word of God kind of people. I'm talking about like true converts. If you want to distract them and pastors from preaching Christ, wouldn't it be a, a master plan? And, and here I am with a hopefully sanctified imagination, able to conceive something that, like I'm about to say. Uh, so I can, I shudder to think what the enemy himself could do in his minions, but wouldn't it be a master plan if he could get everybody to say, Oh yeah, yeah. All that stuff Tim just said for the last five minutes. Totally believe that. Man, Christ-centered, gospels, you know, saturated. Behold Jesus, his beauty. Would it, wouldn't it be a master plan if everybody kind of theologically agreed and could spout out, you know, a few dozen texts to support it, but just didn't do it when it actually yeah. came down to the moment? So, brother, what are some common mistakes? And we're not here to throw darts at anybody else other than ourselves. I'm talking about people who totally affirm everything yeah. you just said. What are some mistakes you yep. see commonly made? No, I mean, I think that's that, that the, I'm so thankful that so many people uh, do affirm and I'm so thankful just for, you know, wanting to do this. But the reality is that I think a lot of, um, a lot of sermons, uh, you know, they, 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 they oftentimes miss the mark in terms of being, really centered on the gospel, you know, and even when we want to, and, and, you know, I know I've done it myself, you know, like mm. I, I want to, and then I've missed it, you know, and, uh, and so I'll just give ways. I mean, I think it's one way, I mean, I think one way that we miss it on purpose, and, and this isn't really the group is, is we kind of assume the gospel, you know, like we assume. And so like, it's not like we would argue that you can get to God apart from Christ, but we would just argue that our people know that. And so we would tell them a bunch of other things, but not feel the need to remind them that they can't get to God mm. apart from Christ. So we would tell them all these amazing things about God and tell them to go to him and just assume that they know. Uh, and for me, the gospel is the, the, the last thing in the world that should be assumed, because I just think it is so countercultural mm. and counter every other experience. I mean, we just live in a world where, our performance is what we're judged on, you know, that, that if you want to be loved, be good. And, uh, and that's just what, that's how, that's how we're treated oftentimes in our relationships, mm -hmm. even by our Christian brothers and sisters. That's just the world we live in. It's the, it's the water we drink. So this idea of being wrong, but still being loved, it's so foreign and it's why we're so defensive and it's so hard for us to be wrong. And when we are wrong, we get ashamed and despair. And then it's so hard for us to receive forgiveness because like we just, we just 
the gospel is just so countercultural that God could know us completely and still love us fully and deeply and mm. intimately and uniquely. And so, yeah, assuming the gospel is one. Uh, and then, you know, I think it's easy. I, I got these categories. Like we go from law to gospel or from law to obedience, you know? So we, we pick a rule and then we talk about ways that, that we fail. And then we talk about uh, ideas on how to do better, you know, like uh, even like humility, like, uh, like we, God's calls us. He, he, you know, he lifts up the humble. He opposes the proud. Let's not be proud. And, and then uh, about ways to not be proud, you know, and just so going from like a law or from a character that a story to example to obedience. And, uh, you know, I think we do this sometimes even within sermons. We'll have like three points and one of our points will have the gospel in it. But then our other two points are a completely different kind of law and then a call to obey it. You know, and I think one of the things uh, that that has been really helpful in talking to guys is as preachers, we're really good at the the conscience pricking questions, you know, like, do you love your enemies? Do you mm. do you do that? Are you really humble? Have you wept like Nehemiah wept for mm. his city? Have you neglected to love others the way that Jesus is calling you to in this passage? Do you pray? Well, why not? What, what keeps you from praying more? Um, and then we move on. You know what I'm saying? And so like we've, we've pricked consciences or we've opened up a wound or we've shown a problem, but then somehow we think we can resolve it by praying or by starting to love or by weeping for our city as if that resolves all of our past failure to do it, you know, and as if for some reason, you know, like just telling us we're supposed to do it is, is what we've been missing the whole time. Mm. Um, and uh, Zach Eswine just has a, a crazy quote. And he just, he talks about whenever you, you wound a conscience with one of those questions, he talks about, you don't have to do it right there because I think me and you both talk sometimes about letting people sit in it sometimes is helpful, but somewhere in the sermon, the preacher has to return. This is a quote to that activity of conscience with the truth and balm that Christ offers. And then he goes on, and this is why I'm quoting him, because I would, I would feel bad if like, I feel like I'd just rather him say it. So I don't, <laughs> he says, it is sobering. It's a sobering thing to realize. But when we preachers do not offer gospel direction for the wounded consciences, we imitate someone other than God with our preaching. Wow. And uh, I mean, I, uh, to me, that's just, that, that, that. now, I mean, if I did that uh, and stopped, then I would just be ironically doing exactly what he's talking about, right? Because because that is wounding our conscience. It's reminding us of all the sermons that we've preached and all the questions that we've asked that we haven't resolved with the gospel and uh, and the people that have left our, our congregations with wounded consciences that we haven't offered healing to. And I've done it. And I think mm. many of us, when we hear it and even think about it, we... Maybe you're thinking about last week's sermon or you're thinking about a month ago, or maybe these are all new ideas to you and you're thinking about years of ministry. And, and, and that's the beauty of the gospel there, that, that we don't go from preach Christ in your sermon to like now go do it, but we go, Christ is beautiful and he's worthy and he loves and forgives us for all the times we failed to, to mm -hmm. lift him up. And he was lifted, he lifted, he was lifted up on a cross. He, he, he did that. Yeah. 
for all the times that we failed to lift him up. We'll never lift him up higher than he was when he was lifted up on that cross. We will never do that, Hmm. which means that he's already lifted himself up uh, and he's already paid the price for every time we failed to lift him up. And, and that God loves us. And, and that God forgives us for all the the sermons we've fallen short of. And that's why I want to preach Christ. Mm -hmm. I want to preach Christ because that's just, that's somebody I love. That's somebody that I appreciate. That's somebody I want to tell others about because shame and defensiveness and you know they're just they're such they're so weak compared to to just repentance and forgiveness in jesus mm. you know so so law to god law to obedience i'll give you like three or four more uh the glory of god to like loving him you know like like we i call them big god sermons where you just preach a sermon about the glory of god it's just all about his glory and it's beautiful and i think a lot of christians go to good like big God sermons and they leave moved and they leave like encouraged and helped, but you can preach a big God sermon without ever talking about the cross. And in my mind, that's a problem because I don't think that the people that go away helped are as helped as they think they are. Because Mm -hmm. when I read the Bible and I see people encountering a big God, I don't see their first response feeling helped. No, the worst news in all the universe is God. I see their first response. Yeah, I see their first response on the ground, right? Like Isaiah, yeah. like Peter, like, like, who am I? And I think it's not until Jesus reaches down and touches us and says, fear not. And, and, and then shows us why we don't have to fear, because he's the first and the last who died and rose. Mm-hmm. You know, like that. that and, and so a big God sermon is only scary without, without the forgiveness of God, you know. And, and so... Pricking people's conscience. I mean, you're never going to change unless your conscience is pricked. So if, if the goal of a sermon, if, if you want your people to be changed, then you're going to have to prick their consciences. So then you're going to have to heal their wounds, you know, and uh, and the glory of God is 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 glorious and beautiful when seen in the face of Christ. And it's frightening when seen on a shaking mountain, uh, you know, that, that that if you touch it, you're going to die, mm. you know, and um Another really common one. Because I'll forget if I don't right now. I mean, just to underline the point you're talking about, John chapter 12, which you've mentioned, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them into myself. In that same context, John tells us under inspiration that Isaiah wrote chapter 6 and 53 because he saw Christ's glory. And the way John goes on to unfold the beauty of that radiantly holy angel covering their face glory of God is in the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth that we see him. So amen to everything you're saying. Okay. What's the other one you were going to mention? Nope. Well, that was great. Well, there's okay. two more. One we've already done and that's like text to life. So, so going from God's word to, to life, you know, that's what the Pharisees tried to do. You know, you can't go from text to life, you know, uh, you, 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 you have, it goes through Jesus. He's the one mediator between God and man, you know, and, uh, and, and so it has to go through him. You get to God Hebrews 10, right? Through the torn veil. And what is the torn veil? It's the torn Flesh. body of yeah. Jesus. It's it's what the 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 cut in two animals of Genesis 15 symbolized. It's like every time you pray, you walk between the torn body of Christ. And that tells you two things. One, it tells you how bad your sin was, that Jesus had to die to do that. That approaching God isn't to be done flippantly. It's not to be, it's we don't deserve to be in his presence. It's not because 
we're so good that he wants to spend time with us. No, a death had to occur to open up this way. But then the torn body of Christ also reminds us that a death occurred. You know, like the cross, it shows us that that ought to be us, which is meant to just crush our pride and humble us. And then it shows us it's not us, which is supposed to just overwhelm us with love and gratitude and thanksgiving and, and praise and glory and a desire to, to follow um, and then another one, I think this is probably the, the last one to go um, because I think it's so hard to see. And that is to go from a present circumstance to a promise to comfort. So how many times, you know, someone's talking about being lonely and being depressed. And what do you do? You tell them, has Jesus not said he'll never leave you or forsake you? And so you've gone from a present circumstance to loneliness. You've picked the perfect promise for it, a God that never leaves you or forsakes you. And then you're hoping that they'll get the comfort from it. But here's the thing. And I think this is, this is crazy. Cause I mean, even when I'm saying it, a lot of people are probably gonna be thinking, yeah, obviously that, what's wrong with that. I mean, that's the gospel will never leave us or forsake us, you know, like, a, you know, how, how could that be bad? That obviously is okay to do. And I mean, in some senses, I'm sure, you know, in, in talking and in counseling, but I want to want to raise just an issue. And that is one that I don't think most people's biggest problem is knowing the promises of God or that many of the Christians that you tell that promise to never heard it before. Um, our struggle is, is to believe it. And within your congregation and in every conversation you have, there are always going to be two groups of people with every promise you tell them. There are those that find the promises of God easy to believe and those that find them hard to believe. So let's just imagine the lonely person. There's a lonely person. And this applies to counseling Preaching, friendship, everything. Lonely person. You want to comfort them with the presence of Christ. Okay, so you tell them he's never going to leave you or forsake you. Um, that person is either going to find that promise easy to believe or hard to believe. One or the other. If they find it easy to believe, it's because they think that they deserve God to never leave them or forsake them. It's, you know, and, and it's because they, that makes sense to them. They love themselves. They have a really strong confidence in, in themselves. They assume that God loves them too. They project their feelings about themselves onto God. Of course, God loves me. Of course, God will never leave me. Why would he leave me? Uh, well, that person, the promise actually leads them to pride because they're thinking that God will never leave them or forsake them because they somehow deserve his presence. Um, they find the promise easy to believe because they deserve it. And whenever you deserve something, it's easy to believe that you get it. Um, when you do not deserve something, it is hard to believe that you get it, period. It just is. It is hard to believe that you get something you don't deserve because everything in life tells you that it, that doesn't happen. So the person you're telling either thinks they deserve it or they don't think they deserve it. If they think they deserve it, then you need the cross to remind them that they don't. And so you can't just go right to the promise or it's going to leave them proud. And, 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 uh, or the person is struggling to believe the promises of God. And you tell them that God will never leave them or forsake them. And they're thinking, I don't deserve him to be with me. I don't even like myself mm -hmm. right now. My spouse doesn't like me. My kids don't like me. No one wants to be around me. Why would God want to be around me? I'm feeling so ashamed, so broken. I deserve it all. And I'm just going to sit here in it. And you can tell me that that's true about God. And I actually believe that promise for you and for most other people. But for me, that's not true because I'm just too bad. 
that person finds the promises of God hard to believe. And telling them the promises of God over and over and over again, don't do anything to make them easier to believe. The problem with the promises of God are not that they're too small. It's just that they're mm-hmm. too big. They're too big to believe. Mm-hmm. That's the, the, our, we, we, we don't come into situations where there's not a promise of God that can actually comfort us. There's always a promise of God that could comfort you. The problem is that the promises of God are just too big to mm-hmm. actually believe and, and, and in our worst times. And so in moments like that, they need the gospel. They need that he will never leave you or forsake you. He, you know that because he left heaven. He came down to earth. He went outside of the city where he was crucified. And everything you're saying about how God should treat you, you're 100% right about. You deserved to be alone, rejected, ashamed, naked, abandoned. You deserve all that stuff. And I'm not going to tell you you don't and that you're better than that because you're not. You deserve it all. But I'll tell you a story about the son of God who went endured all of that now he's given you his righteousness he's covered your sins with his blood and he's given you his righteousness and he says now you can come boldly to the throne of god and and he has promised he will present you holy and blameless without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing he will do that And until he does that physically in his presence, he will live within you, never leaving you, never forsaking you, advocating before the Father for every shameful thought that you have. I paid for that. I paid for that. I paid for that. And and you can receive that. And and now that's the one who will never leave you or forsake you. And that's why you can believe it'll never leave you or forsake you. And so we go from promise, from present circumstance to promise to the gospel, which is the only thing that makes sense of that kind of promise for people like us. Yeah. Then there's true comfort. Yeah. yeah Praise God. Then you get to comfort. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, let me also add on to that one before we go to our last uh, kind of final theme and land the plane. Um, this wasn't designed to be a counsel for the discouraged, depressed, or lonely. But in light of what you just said, I want to say to any brother or sister uh, who's listening, who heard what Tim just said, and maybe uh, with, would put yourself in the category of, of somebody who's tried to do a shortcut around the cross to get to real comfort, and it hasn't worked. Um, just as Tim took us right outside the city to the hill of Golgotha, where the Redeemer was crucified and paid, not only do you see on that cross God's only begotten Son, you also see there His only forsaken Son. And He was forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you and I never would be. And may the Lord give to us by the Spirit the grace to believe those promises. Uh, really at the root of it all it, it is not, we don't have a big enough memory bank of verses that, that we should have locked down more, more verbatim and may God help us all to do that more to treasure his word in our heart, but it's to actually believe those promises. So brother, thank you uh, for that. It's really a, a counseling clinic, which wasn't the aim of, of this podcast, but at least our design, but I believe the Holy spirit uh, may use those moments to really minister deeply to to each of us and to any who Amen. listen. So 
Okay. As we conclude, um, you've really touched on this brother in the, in the examples you gave kind of law to obedience or kind of circumventing the gospel to get to comfort. So you've already done what I'm about to say, but any ways that you would recommend that, uh, we may be able to strengthen our true Christ-centeredness, not just in one point of our three-point sermon, as you alluded to, but really right. as the right. dominating theme throughout our preaching. And I'll probably forget to say it, so I'm going to go ahead and say now, uh, Tim also leads for the network a preaching cohort in one of our TCT tracks. That's for any elder of any church or uh, aspiring pastor, you know, kind of church planning resident type people. Uh, the next iteration of that will come, Lord willing, uh, early next year, 2021. If you're interested, you can reach out to info at TCT Network and get your name on the list. So I appreciate Tim doing that. But uh, for those who, who don't want to wait to 2021 and see if they make the track, uh, what are some ways, brother, that, that you found strength in true Christocentricity or ways that you would encourage others to do the same? Yeah. I mean, a couple of things. I, most of us didn't grow up with this kind of preaching. So, mm. uh, so if we're going to reflect what we've received, then we're going to have to. Um, it, it's going to have to. We're going to have to change. We're going to have to, you know, uh, expose ourselves to it. Uh, and so, I think, you know, I love like Tim Keller. I love like the, you know, a lot of the Gospel According to books, Testament, the Reformed Expository series. Those are great commentaries on the old testament that help help you know do that um you know uh so i think reading and figuring out ways because the, the last way or another pitfall is just a general gospel at the end of every sermon and it's just the same every week and you know to me uh that that is not the answer either you know because then everyone knows the last eight minutes of the sermon is the same every single week and the first 20 minutes of the sermon, he works really hard on and studies. And the last eight, he just rehashes what he said last week. And then what do they think is important? They think what's important is what you spend all your time studying and what's new and what you're passionate about. And that's why it's so important that we spend as much time studying and being passionate about and understanding the very unique way that the gospel fits in that passage. And that isn't natural. That takes time. That takes study. That takes you know, having people critique your sermons and go over them. And that takes, you know, uh, asking the right questions. You know, Tim Keller's got a book on preaching that, that is, you know, helpful, you know, um, in that. And, and then listening to preachers that do it um, and reading their commentaries or just reading uh, their sermons or whatever, but exposing yourself to it. Uh, CCEF is great for like teaching you how to counsel that way. Um, and then practically, just a practical is for me, uh, what I do is I sit in a passage and I, I try to do, you know, I try to have those other ways that are like hermeneutical and exegetical and ways that you do it and different ways. And you learn how to get to Christ through contrast and comparison and lots of different ways. But, but ultimately at the end of the day, what I do is I try to sit in the, the passage until it exposes a brokenness in me or it, uh, it pierces a part of my conscience or it exposes a need hmm. And then, like, I, in other words, like, I don't feel good about preaching a passage until I feel like I needed it. Like, I needed to hear this passage because my life mm. would not, I needed it. It exposed something in me that I needed. And that's not always sin. Sometimes it's brokenness. Sometimes it's a wound. Sometimes it's a sin, discouragement. But it exposed a brokenness in me. And, I, and, and so I try to let the passage do that. And then 
And then once I've been broken, I know that I can't, I can't, until I get the gospel, I can't move on. Like I, I need the gospel. And so that to me, I, I wait for the passage to, to, to crush me. And mm-hmm. then after that, I say, I mean, I can't, I can't get up or preach this or talk about this until I'm healed, until I, I get some comfort. And so then I find the comfort of the gospel that comforts me. Um, and of course you want it to be exegetical and from the text, but I mean, it should be, and, and, and it's there. And so you don't have to put it there. It's there. I believe you just have to find it, let it comfort you. And then I try to proclaim the sermon. Basically, I just try to basically lead my people on my journey into the part of the text that broke me and shattered me and then into the part that healed me and, uh, and then into the, so what, and the part of how, how, what, what it looks like to be different. And you don't do it by talking about yourself or like, it doesn't all have to be like personal illustrations and stuff. You just, once it's happened to you, then you preach it differently. And you yeah. don't even have to mention yourself. It's not about mentioning yourself or using illustrations about yourself. It's just, you lead the people because you needed it. You yeah. got it. And now you oh. reflect it onto them. And so Amen. sometimes you talk about yourself, but sometimes you don't have to, and there's no need to every Amen. sermon. Um, Amen. So, but you do have to feel it and it has to be real. And then you Amen. have to experience it and then you proclaim it. So. Amen. So many and things feel I've... it's the wrong word. Uh, I guess you don't have to feel it. You have to experience it and by faith go. cling to it. Amen. And even if you haven't felt it, you can preach it uh, and preach it to the people that aren't going to feel it after your sermon either. But you, you cling to it and you trust it and you, you can't get up without it. So. Yeah, well said. Well, so many things I'd like to say, but I'm going to limit myself to a few thoughts that are, I believe, connected to everything that you just emphasized. Uh, one is um, we ourselves are going inevitably to talk about what most fascinates us. And as we ourselves experience the Lord Jesus in his word, ministering to us inevitably, He's the one that we're going to talk about. So amen to everything you said about personal experience and meeting with the Lord. Praise God for all the abundance of uh, resources and the literature that's come out by the droves in the theme that you and I are discussing in this episode. But at the end of the day, you can be able to explain a truth and say we hold to a truth, even convictionally down to our bones, uh, you know, subscribe, ascribe to a truth. But it's not until we experience what we say we believe until we ourselves begin to export that. We just can't export what we don't possess. And um, brother, uh, I actually going to pause and ask you a question before I just say my own thought about this too. What text are you planning to preach this coming Sunday? Lord willing. I'm going to preach Psalm 55. Okay. And Psalm 55 is written roughly a thousand years before Jesus is born. You mean to say that it's your aim to get from Psalm 55 to Christ? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Amen. I knew your answer was yes to that definitively. So I'm just going to put you out on the kind of the firing squad, not as a test case of people analyze your sermons. We preach for the benefit of the souls of the people. But if anybody wants to hear an example of how Tim tries to do what he's been talking about, then Kaleo's website, Psalm 55, uh, that's where he's sitting this week until he's wounded and healed. And he's going to talk about the grace that he himself receives from that passage. Um, Last thing I'll say is uh, I think this is a to-be-continued conversation. Maybe you and I will circle back at some point to the 
kind of theological foundation beneath this whole practical application. But in addition to that talk, um, if we're able to do that sometime, I have recorded an episode already with Jonathan Woodyard, who's talking about similar themes and maybe those can release this one and then his in close connection to one another, but may the Lord saturate this network with especially one thing, the beauty of Christ. And may we truly behold him and inevitably we do become like what we behold and we will export what we possess. So may it be said of us by the grace of God that we are people who are truly fascinated by the King of glory and receiving constantly from his overflowing bounty of grace on top of grace on top of grace. Um, so many other things I'd love to say, brother, you've served us well. Thank you so much for pointing us back to the fountain again. And uh, please greet the wife, the kids, Lord willing. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Appreciate you having yeah. me. See you, brother. Bye.